Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Recording, John. We are up. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going? Thanks for having me, Chris. Looking forward to an interesting conversation that will hopefully inspire and maybe even give some people some new tips. Of course. Well, speaking of like giving people tips and inspiring people, before we get too far into the conversation, why don't you give a brief background or the gist of uh, who you are and what we might be talking about and all that good stuff? Sure. Well, I am known as the pitch whisperer. My passion is helping people figure out how to tell a story to sell themselves, to get a job or to get promoted or to raise money for a startup. Or I get hired a lot as a sales keynote speaker at big annual meetings for the sales teams in tech and healthcare that struggle to not just be seen as a commodity and they have to pitch against competitors and They come to me and they're like, oh, we're so tired of coming in second place. And I say, I understand. I used to sell advertising. I used to sell tech products. Unlike the Olympics, we don't get anything in the business world for coming in second place. There's no medal. There's no, um, you know, you either get it or you don't. So um, I have a real fascination for storytelling and how that takes people from feeling pushy uh, and makes them magnetic and actually pulls people in. And sure. um, the background f- from working for an ad agency to selling uh, equipment to selling advertising has given me a real insight into just exactly what it is that creates that emotional connection that makes people want to buy. Mm. So being interested in story storytelling I mean, it's one of the things that I believe that brought our ancestors together before technology and everything. It was just everyone loved a good story, you know, to sit around and, you know, let's hear about it. So have you, you know, since childhood always just been interested in becoming a storyteller or is this just something you fell into just over time or how did it, how did it all start out? Maybe? Well, I was lucky enough. My, you know, mom read me bedtime stories and I would always like the same story read over and over again. Never I, got tired of it. Uh, and then... When I was trying to figure out what I wanted to major in in school, when I found out that advertising was an actual career, it seemed like two of my passions coming together, business and psychology of what motivates people, what grabs their attention. It was a little bit of Hollywood's uh, showbiz thrown into the advertising world with a jingle or, um, you know, I remember all the TV shows with their, you know, each the show back in the day had their own song and everything. Um, and so I really loved being immersed in the world of advertising, 
because you had to say, well, what is it that makes this compelling? What is it that makes it memorable? Yeah. And um, and at the end of the day, every ad is trying to sell you something, but the best ones, you don't feel like you're being sold something. You feel like you're going on a journey. And then I had the opportunity to work for a small ad agency in LA doing commercials for movies coming out on home video. So if you go back in time with me, Chris, when blockbusters were everywhere. I remember. And people were renting movies and they were there was a budget to make those people go to the blockbuster and rent them. Yes. Or eventually buy them. And so that's really where I honed my storytelling skills. We could look at what a movie had done theatrically, commercials and things, and say, well, it didn't really do that well at the box office. But what if we change the way we edit the movie down to a different kind of story? Maybe people will want to rent it then. And so we could take a drama and make it a comedy or vice versa, or really play up the romance or down, play down the romance. It's more of an adventure, you know, heist or whatever you wanted to do. And that really um, gave me some insights into, gosh, there's a lot of different ways to tell the same story. <laughs> so what did you learn? Like, you know, in speaking of a lot of different ways to tell a story and keeping people engaged and, you know, making sure that, you know, when you start to tell a story or a pitch, yes. whatever, that you you keep their their attention on you at all time instead of like losing them in the first right. one or two. And they're like, all right, screw this guy. I want to move on. Exactly. Well, especially when you're creating a commercial, it's only 30 seconds and some are all, only 15. Of you have to really um, make it concise. You've got to make it clear. And most importantly, you have to make it compelling. And that is part of what I teach when salespeople bring me into their team. Um, Cause if you don't make something clear and you confuse people, people aren't going to tell you they're confused. You're throwing out a bunch of acronyms or whatever. They're just going to say, I'm out. No, thanks. Of course. Um, why does it need to be concise? And here's the real secret, Chris. There's the meeting after the meeting. So if you put yourself in the shoes of a buyer or a client and they've, you know, interviewing three different people or companies whether they're like, these are the magazines we're going to advertise in. These are, uh, we're going to pick one of these architects to, you know, design our new law firm, or we're going to pick this piece of equipment to use in the hospital. Um, and they all, all get bids and they all hear from, you know, the top three people. It needs to be concise because if everyone just goes in and spills facts and figures, they go, well, it all sounds the same. I guess we should go with the cheapest. But if you're the one that's told a story that is clear, concise, and compelling, they can remember a concise story and repeat it to their boss, who may not have even heard the pitches, as to why they should pick you and if, if you're more expensive. The story sticks. And then finally, the compelling part, people buy emotionally and then back it up with logic. And so we need to tell stories that tug at our heartstrings to get people to want to make a change. Yeah, just get that kind of emotional feeling from them. And that way they're feeling almost exactly what you're saying deep inside them. And that way it's like, hey, this guy is right. I do need to make a change. Yes. X, Y, and Z and whatever I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of psychology that kind of goes into it. Oh, yes, it, it's true. In fact, one of the joys of teaching people how to become better storytellers is when they learn how to tell a story that other people see themselves in. Because when that happens, you're not pushing information. The story is magnetic and pulling them in. And if they can actually identify with the person that you're talking about that you helped. Yes. Then they go, well, that sounds just like me. I need this too. And I have examples of that we can get into if you'd like. Yeah. And, and before we get into it, uh, when, why you're you know because, talking about storytelling, do you think all people have the ability to be, to be great storytellers? Or is it just something that has to be, you know, learned and trained and, you know, listen to people like yourself well the good news is i do believe everyone has the ability to become a good storyteller and if you already think you're a good one there's the ability to become a great one sure and it's unlike you know athletics or broadway show tunes you know performers or where you are you know you have to do have this gift right yeah. to throw a football or to hit those high notes or whatever the you know and then top training on top of that um Storytelling is, as you said, it's, you know, we used to sit around in the days of living in caves and tell stories and around oh. the fireplace. So it's in our DNA and it's part of the way our brain works, but there's, you know, a good way to tell a story and a bad way. And so if you're willing to put some time and effort into learning 
how to be a better storyteller. It can really help you not only in your career, but also your personal life. Yeah. I'm a fan of stand-up comedy and, and mm. I'm there, uh, a lot of these comedians podcasts and, you know, the way they talk about their writing and how they, you know, get the, uh, they get a topic or a story and they revamp it in a bunch of different ways yes. in order just to be able to deliver it, you know, exactly correctly to the audience so that it's not too wordy or they're not losing them in the first little bit and that it still hits home with people. And, but it, it yeah. doesn't, it, but it's not one of those things that, you know, you just hit, find a punchline and just go after it and tell people, but like, it's just, the, it's like an art of where they sit down and they have to word it and, you know, make it feel just right. You know, use their expressions and emotions just to get it out. Yeah. And I never thought of it in that light before until listening to the way, you know, a couple of them explained it. I just thought it was just go. They thought of a cool joke and they made a kind of an exaggerated story out of whatever a cool story and went right. all their lives, you know, but it was, it's a cool art form. It's a, you know, and certain words are considered funny and certain words aren't. I've been to taping several times of watching sitcoms. Yes. And they will fix them on the fly if they're not getting a laugh and rewrite it right there and then. And then the actors have to rememorize a new line and, and try it. So it is a constant honing of the craft. The same thing when you're a storyteller. And uh, if you're trying to tell a story that has some humor, unless you're a professional comedian, that humor has really got to be worked on as well. You don't just, just because you think you're funny doesn't mean other people think you're funny. Yeah, true. But I've learned that, um, you know, one of the things I talk about is, you know, research shows that if you take a cold shower, it burns fat, fights depression, and reduces inflammation. And for me, I was sold at the concept burning fat. That's all I needed to hear. you know. And I thought, well, I'm going to try that during the pandemic. And I actually gained weight instead of lost. Because <laughs> I, I was thinking, I don't need to work out anymore. I'll just take three cold showers every day. You know, it's just so, you know, you're laughing, thank God. Um, <laughs> but that little story of my personal experience has several elements in it. It takes the premise of research, may, may not be the best way for us to make decisions alone. Maybe we need to look at some other-ish stories uh, uh, and other factors. Um, I worked with a professional humorist on that. And he said, one of the things in comedy is if something is true, in this case, cold showers, burn yeah. fat, then we ask ourselves, what else is true? And that was where we came up with the line. In fact, I've quit working out altogether and all I do is take three cold showers a day. You get a second laugh because if you're bought into the initial concept, okay, then it makes it even funnier if you take it one step further. And that's really where the art form is. And then being a little vulnerable, like I actually gained weight doing this, you know, it makes it even worse. It's like, ah, everyone else is losing weight doing this, but I, you know. So uh, there's all that element of, and then he, he even said, if you were testing that out in a stand-up comic world, you would say, what's funnier? Cold showers first, cold showers second, or cold showers third? Wow. And we both decided that saying cold showers first is the funniest way to tell that because that's really what the punchline is that you want to keep first in their head. It, you know, it had me yeah. at cold showers. I didn't care if there's other benefits. So, but, you know, that's how much goes into it. Yeah, yeah, it's... um. Like I said, it was mind blowing to me when I found out that how much was going into it and how long it actually takes somebody to take a bit and just work it instead of just sit down one night and go try it out. And then like, you know, work it one way, then go try it out at a, where like an open mic night and then like find out if you are getting those laughs or not mm-hmm. and go back home and, you know, really do yeah. your homework and research it again and redo it. But before we go to, I don't, I want to, I don't want to lose those examples you were talking about there just a few minutes. Sure. So let's go back to that. So we don't get too far. Yep. So let's, it's like, okay, so what, what I help people do is take a case study. That concept's been around for decades. We have testimonials, we have case studies, even the word study sounds like homework to me. I'm already half asleep. Um, but, and turn them into case stories. Ah, so instead of just throwing out a bunch of facts about, you know, we have another client who does this and does that, and, you know, they bought this from us and blah, 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 we put it into a story. So um, one of the medical supply tech companies came to me and they said, you know, we have this great equipment. It makes the surgeries go 30% faster and we're having trouble getting doctors to buy it. We don't understand. It's so logical. The problem is it's logical. Even a doctor buying a piece of equipment makes an emotional decision first. 
course. And so I asked a bunch of questions and now here's the case story they tell. Imagine how happy Dr. Higgins was six months ago down at Long Beach Memorial. Using this equipment, he could go out to the patient's family an hour earlier than expected. And if you've ever waited for someone you love to come out of surgery, you know every minute feels like an hour. And he said, good news, family. The, the scope shows they don't have cancer. They're going to be fine. Right. Then the doctor turned to the rep and said, you know, this is why I became a doctor from moments like this. Now that rep tells that story to another doctor at another hospital who sees himself in the story and says, you know what? That's why I became a doctor. I want your equipment too. The client said, oh my gosh, that gives us chills. Yeah. Not only are we not telling stories, it never occurred to us to make a patient's family a character in the story. And you see what I did there to pull you in was like, if you've ever waited for someone you love, and even if you haven't, you can imagine what it would feel like, or you know someone who had to go through that. So all of that is making that short, it's clear, it's concise, and it's compelling. Mm-hmm. The secret is the client, the sales rep is not the hero. The doctor is the hero because you want other doctors to see themselves in that story. Of course. Yeah. And then the real elements of that, now that you've heard the story, you can, we can break it down into the parts of what makes the good story. So the, the first part is the exposition. Like you're a journalist who, what, where, when I tell you the doctor's name, how long ago, where it is. You got to paint that picture. So we're in it with you. And then the second step is the problem. You need to describe someone's problem in a way that people care about it. The stakes are not high in the story. Nobody cares about the story. Right. And then the third part is the solution. In this case, the doctor says, good news, they're going to be fine. And if the story ended there, it would be okay, but it wouldn't be good. And But there's the fourth part to a great story, and it's resolution. That dialogue that the doctor said to the rep, this is why I became a doctor. That's the resolution to that story. And that when you have all four parts and structure your stories in that order and make sure you have all four parts, then that's what makes people remember it, repeat it, feel something. Uh, You have to imagine the Wizard of Oz. If that ended when Dorothy got in the balloon to go back to Kansas, the end. No, she's at home. She's in bed. She's like, oh, my God, there's no place like home. And you were there and you were there. That's the resolution to the Wizard of Oz. That's why it's a classic. Mm. Is that a big mistake that people who are new into storytelling? Yeah, they don't have a resolution. They don't yeah, have the, a resolution. And they just, yeah, the story just ends with it. Yeah. Sucks. Why, why do we watch this? And then, and scene, and the patient lived. Okay. Um, or is there no moral to the story? There's no takeaway? Yeah. Or, or they make the, the other big mistake is they make themselves the hero uh, instead of the client. <clears throat> uh, so what, You're the Sherpa. You're like Yoda in Star Wars in the stories. You're helping that person climb mount everest some people don't want to see the, uh themselves be the hero is that kind of what you're saying people want if you're telling a story to a potential person who could hire you or or buy from you they want to hear a story of someone who's like them mm. that, that you helped right if you get if you told the story and let's okay let's pretend that i'm telling the story where the sales rep is the hero of that story you know when i came to dr so and so you know, I convinced him to buy this equipment and I. Oh. Into a waiting room earlier, you know, and just say, you know, this is done. I've got another surgery coming up. And and he, you know, he was like, oh, okay. Maybe I'll, that's why. And, you know, don't you want one now? See, you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, no. Not not filling that one exactly, yeah. Because it's yeah. the rep is making themselves the hero of the story instead of the doctor. Yeah, doesn't doesn't ring doesn't no. have a hard ring for me anymore. Huh. <laughs> nice. So is that so? Moving on though, is, I mean, you know, I know you said you worked with a couple people, and yeah, and how do you think? I mean, did, how do you how do you stay? What sort of am I looking for? Stay sharp right now, even when you're telling stories and selling the pitches and stuff like that. I mean, is this something you're always kind of working on? Like we were talking about the comedian. Oh, yes. Are you yes. still working with people to kind of help you keep you sharp or mm-hmm. what is Yeah. It? You're like, an, you're like, I watch footage of myself after I've given a keynote talk. I have a coach. We're looking at, you know, the structure of the, the talk, you know, getting feedback from the audience of what's sticking, what's not sticking. Yeah. Um, and 
realizing, you know, if somebody isn't remembering something from the talk, maybe it doesn't need to stay. Maybe there's something better to put in. Yeah. Vice versa, if something's really resonating and people are remembering it and using it, then that really, you know, we double down on that. Um, I think everyone, and you want to, and I also customize my keynote talks to who the audience is. So if I'm speaking to an architecture firm, I've interviewed people who are, are going to be in the audience and I reference them. I remember when I was speaking to Anthem Insurance, I'd interviewed some people and they said, how long have you worked in healthcare? And I said, I haven't. I've just interviewed <laughs> people, learned some acronyms and, you know, yeah. and so people feel like, oh, this is customized for me. So then, and I teach people that you need to think of yourself like a jukebox or a playlist. And instead of different songs coming out, you have different stories available. Sure. So depending on the situation, um, I don't always tell the same stories. I tell the stories that are relevant to who I'm speaking to with. Yeah. And that's smart. And, and I, there's a good example of this when I used to work in higher education and I'm not going to say any names or call really call anybody out, but we had a person that was pretty high up. And every time we had a, uh, I guess a huge meeting, you know, a, basically a, a retreat and all that good stuff mm -hmm. that she would do the same presentation with the same stories every single time, almost uh -huh word for word with the same PowerPoint and everything. Right. And it was, and it was just, you know, we would, we got, it, it almost became comical to a point because we would go in there betting money. Like, all right, here, which part, how, you know, how long is she going to get into the next part? You know, yeah. we almost knew it word for word as good as she did. And it was just kind of like, does she just not practice anything? Does she just not care that she wants to change anything up? Does she not have any other go-to stories or go-to yeah. like, anything for new examples? And I mean, not to, you know, completely shit on her but it just that was just my confusion like you got anything else you want to share you know besides the same thing so right oh god yeah you um now sometimes i will get hired to come back and speak again and they'll say be sure you tell those key stories like with the story of how you met michael phelps we love that we want this is we want to hear that story again we consider yeah. that with a signature story um but I'm being, you know, I was called, to, you know, to be the keynote speaker at a real estate company's sales meeting on how to use storytelling to, you know, win business, get listings, all that good stuff. Um, and now they want me to come in and give a talk to the management team on how to use storytelling to recruit top talent to come work there. Okay. And that is um, still storytelling. But it's a whole new challenge and it requires a customization of the talk with different stories and different interviews of that's a common problem across every industry now. It's not just restaurant work workers that are, you know, there's a shortage, a shortage of architects, lawyers, real estate people. Sure. And a lot of them have never had to sell, you know, especially if you work for a big company you know, people just apply to work there. And now they're having to convince people to come work, especially if you're a top producer someplace else. Um, you know, those people aren't looking for a job and you have to, you know, figure out, and you're maybe good at selling homes, but not selling the company or yourself as a boss. So that, so there's, you know, the, the shift and all that. When you started, you know, I know you've been storytelling for a while and you know, now you're keynote speaking and was there a time when you had always stage fright starting out? And, you know, you were so worried about speaking mm. in front of these big audiences and, you know, like, oh, do I have all my material yeah. that I need? And is this sure. the way that I want to? I vividly remember a few years back being invited to speak at the Coca-Cola Summit for their CMOs of all the fast quick service restaurants. That's what they call them, not fast food. Um, <laughs> McDonald's, okay. In-N-Out. Yeah. Never heard of that. Uh, okay. Yeah. Olive Garden. Um and I, they put a very beautiful book together of all the speakers that were going to be speaking over the three days and our backgrounds and our books. And I started looking at this thinking, I am the only speaker that didn't go to an Ivy League school like Harvard or Yale. Ooh. My book is not on the New York Times bestseller. And I, and I started sweating. And I want to tell people, don't compare yourself to other people. That is the gateway drug to the imposter syndrome coming up because it kicked in big time as I'm in my room the night before the event started. And I'm like, oh my God, the woman who hired me is going to get fired. And I was like, she's been doing her job for a while. I think she knows what she's doing. She saw something in your video that she liked. And then I had to talk myself off the ledge, Chris, by saying, 
You know, when you hear a speaker, do you care where they went to school? No. Not really. You care how many books they sold? No. I care about how they make me feel in the moment. Okay, then. Let's go with that. And, And so, yes, there are times where you, you know, can really get off track if you let yourself yeah. start getting intimidated yeah. by it. or you got you know maybe another the speaker right before you is really famous and great and you got to follow that right they joke about that in, in entertainment all the time oh i didn't want to follow that act that was you know yeah. or yeah. comedians have to follow each other all the sure. time so yeah. yeah you just do you yeah no i'm glad you said that uh who's it roosevelt said comparisons of thief of joy and mm. Just what you just said that, you know, imposter syndrome or even performance anxiety, um, you know, you, you think that you're the only one who's doing it or has it, but it's really a lot of people. You're not the only one, I guess is what I'm trying. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. I'm to say that right. what I like to hear is this because, you know, when I do my CrossFit competitions and stuff like that, it's kind of those demons kind of sneak up on me like right the day of or the night before, like you were saying. And you're like, yeah, you're like, damn, why am I here? Why am I going to do this? I mean, I heard Oprah, uh, she was ending her talk show after all those years, say almost 95% of all the guests, no matter how famous or successful, after the camera stops, they go, how'd I do? Huh. Was I okay? Really? Everyone everyone has that need for validation. You know, there's a, a little bit of insecurity in all of us. Yeah. We just don't like to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Just because what it's not cool to say. I yeah. I mean, I can tell you another story. Uh, yeah, love it. Through a series of events that were beyond, you know, we all set goals for ourselves typically. and But sometimes life happens and a goal that wasn't even on your radar can happen. And that for me was getting interviewed by Larry King. Nice. I never dreamed of that. You know, like, like you dream big, but I never, you know, I watched him as a kid on CNN and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, someday I'm going to be on that. You know, Larry King's going to interview me. Well, this was after his CNN days, but still... It was look at Larry King. And um, so I thought, okay, I better prepare. That's how I deal with nerves. Of course. The more prepared I am, the more confident I am. That's a great quote from Arthur Ashe, the famous tennis pro about that. You know, the more prepared you are, the more confident you are, and the more successful you are. So I'm like, okay, let me, you know, read up on Larry King. And um, I read an excerpt from his bio of how he got his big break interviewing Frank Sinatra and um, that he also did not like small talk. I was like, okay. (laughs) The show was called Breakfast with Larry and you literally had breakfast with him in Beverly Hills with some other friends of his and then were taken in the car with him and the co-host to his studio. And the car, you know, so I'm sitting in the front with the driver and he and his co-host in the back. And 
I mentioned to him that I really liked that story of how he got his big break interviewing Frank Sinatra. And I can share that story if you're interested. It's kind of a cool story, actually. I'm a Frank um, Sinatra guy, so yeah, for sure. Um, and he said, oh, yeah, that was a great night. So I'm like, oh, okay. I've triggered a happy memory. He knows I've done my homework. Um, yeah. And we're in the car on the way there. And it's interesting being around somebody that famous and wealthy the driver's like, um, is the temperature okay, Mr. King? Do you want it hotter? Do you want it colder? Is the volume of the radio okay? They were playing the ball game because he's into sports or was into sports when he was alive. And um, so the guy who was uh, in the back seat with him, Cal Fussman, was trying to pull me into the conversation they were having about the game. He said, John, are you into sports? And there was this moment where I just panicked and I went, I have a choice here, be authentic or pretend. And I'm like, don't even try to pretend because these guys know everything about. And I go, not really. I have an advertising background. The joke is we watch the Super Bowl for the commercials, not the game. <laughs> and and they kind of laughed. So then, you know, we pull up to the studio and there's this, you know, reserve for Larry King with a little uh, drawing of him with the suspenders and everything. And and I said, oh, my God, that's so nice. The building did that for you. And Cal pulls me aside and goes, John, he owns the building. <laughs> it's like going to own network for Oprah. <laughs> okay, got it. Never mind. <laughs> so, you know, a little nerve wracking. Uh, <laughs> and then we're on air and he's like, so, John, um, how authentic is it? When you, you know, how authentic do you need to be when you tell a story? I said, oh, Larry, it's everything. And for example, if you don't know sports and someone asks you if you're into it, don't pretend you're not. Same thing with the story, right? So we had that little car ride reference. Yeah. And then he said, okay, well, John, what makes a good story? And I said, well, would you mind sharing that story of how you got your big break with Frank Sinatra? And there was a moment later when I was watching the tape, and I thought, where did I get the nerve to ask him, answer his question with a question? <laughs> but I knew it was a happy memory. And then I... So he tells me, well, yes, I was young. I was living in Miami. I wasn't famous. I just had a radio show. Um, and I was friends with Jackie Gleason, who had a TV show at the time. And Jackie Gleason said to me, what's impossible in your business? And first of all, that question alone, I just love. Sure. And um, Larry King said to him, well, interviewing Frank Sinatra, his child just got, you know, kidnapped and uh the press is saying it's because of his ties to the mafia and he's you know he's not talking to the press about it at all and jackie said he owes me a favor he had laryngitis one night i went on and did comedy i'll ask him to come on your radio show so well right so he gets there and you know the publicist is like don't ask him about that kidnapping no worries two minutes into the show he goes oh larry i'm so stressed out as you know my kid got kidnapped and larry's like i didn't you know yeah. to the publicist Anyway, they got along great, so much so that Frank invited him to come hear him sing that night and bring a date to some fancy, you know, club in Miami. Front row seats, the whole bit. Nice. Frank, so Larry brings this date and he's like, oh, this woman's going to think I'm really great. Um, and Frank has him stand up and say, this guy's going to be famous someday, I predict, and all this other stuff. Anyways, everything was calmed. It was great. Larry's taking the woman back um, to her place. And she's like, oh, can you stop and get coffee? He had no money. And but this is before ATMs and a lot of credit cards. Sure. And he was in, he go, the whole night will be blown if she knows I'm poor. Right. I don't have cash. So he goes into the store, comes back out, and she goes, where's the coffee? He goes, they couldn't change 100. <laughs> so he kept the facade up, right? That he's the Bye. player like Frank Sinatra. And that is what makes that story so fun to me is a little bit Larry King before he was rich. Yes. Clever. You know, even if you just told him, you know, Frank Sinatra and all that, that's that's the ending of this. But the resolution is that little humor thing at the end. So um, when he told that story, I then broke it down. I'm like, here's the exposition. Here's the problem. Right. You're trying to impress a girl. The solution is you make up the, right, all that stuff. So that is um, how you can also handle your nerves sometimes. Oh, that's excellent. That was great. That was great, John. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Oh, just. I don't even know where to go from here. That's like you say, like that's hard to even. Where do I, where do we go after that? But uh, <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess we should just. I don't. Yeah, man. You, I mean, yeah. I'm still on the Frank Sinatra thing, man. You just you yeah. blew my mind with that, man. That was, yeah. that was awesome. I, I had no idea that's where it was going to go, man. Uh, yeah. Well, that's also part of a good story. Is there yeah. some unexpected twist? You think yeah. of the movies you like, right? 
for sure. Uh, and that the stakes get higher and higher and you're cheering for the hero of the story. And then, oh, something's going to, you know, throw the whole thing off. And and um, that is what makes a story or humor is that unexpected um, way of getting yourself out of a situation where you're like, oh, well, there goes that night. <laughs> but I mean, you, you know, you mentioned Michael Phelps even a little bit earlier. So you've kind of, yeah, you kind of went around with a lot of kind of really high names. Well, I tell that story. Yeah. So there I am in LA and Michael Phelps is not exactly walking around the streets of LA. He doesn't live in LA and I used to be a lifeguard. So for me, you know, meeting him was like a fantasy. Um, But Speedo was in my sales territory in LA and I had noticed that they were coming out with a line of sportswear. Okay. So I went to make a pitch to them and I said, Hey, you know, would you like to run this in my fashion magazine? And they're like, no. We're going to run it in a fitness magazine. And usually that would be for most salespeople. That's okay. Bye. Thanks. But I said two magic words that I teach people to have in their toolbox. When you get a no or an objection, what if, when you start a sentence with what if you start painting a picture of imagination of what's possible. Sure. Like, well, what if we treated the sportswear like it was high fashion and we could have a fashion show with the models wearing the sportswear around a hotel swimming pool. And I know, you know, Michael Phelps on your payroll during the Olympics. If you invited him, I bet we get a lot of publicity at that event. Mm. And they loved the idea so much that I got the advertising sale. But more importantly for me as a former lifeguard, I got to meet Michael Phelps. And I have a picture of myself with him and the whole shebang. Nice. And I went up to him and I said, Michael, everyone says you're so famous and successful in swimming um, because your fins, uh, you know, your feet are like fins and your heart, you have this big lung capacity. I'm guessing there's something else going on there. I go, oh yeah, John, when I was younger, my coach said to me, Michael, are you willing to work out on Sundays? Yes, coach. Great, we just got 52 more workouts in a year than everybody else. And I then thought, okay, if everyone wants to get to an Olympic level in their life or their career, I think the question for us all to ask ourselves is what Michael Phelps coach asked him. What are you willing to do what somebody else isn't? And first of all, sometimes you have to figure out what that is. And then are you willing to do it? Because sometimes the competition hasn't even thought about it, right? Yes. It doesn't always mean working out harder necessarily. Certainly as an athlete, it probably does. But in business, there's sometimes there's other creative ways to come around to all of that. Um, I remember working with Banana Republic and they said, listen, we're never going to be Neiman Marcus, but we would like to elevate ourselves and redefine what luxury is. So it's not just price point. Mm -hmm. And so we came up with the concept of what if luxury is an unexpected treat that doesn't cost you anything? Like you didn't know you needed it, but boy, if you're given it, you love it. Sure. And so what they did was they realized that, you know, in their flagship stores and Rockefeller Center in New York and Union Square in San Francisco, that's where the majority of those 20% of those frequent shoppers were giving them 80% of their revenue. And they go, we need to do something to wow them. And so they said, oh, would you like to have us charge your phone while you shop? They had people there, you know, row of phone chargers. Um, And this is when phones were, you know, running out of batteries all the time, much faster than they do now. And people are like, oh my gosh, that's great. Thank you. Right? Unexpected luxury. You're charging my phone. It doesn't cost me anything. You're going to guard my phone. Here's the the surprise there. Sales went up 25% Mm. during the two-week thing they did that because people kept shopping. They come back, they go, oh, I got another 25% before my phone's fully charged. I'll keep, and they bought more than they went in for. Keep them in the store. Yeah. So that's another form of using the Michael Phelps takeaway of what am I willing to do? Nobody else has thought about doing to be successful. So yeah, it's a lot of thinking outside of the box, of course. Mm-hmm. And then, and not only that, but you know, you, working with these big names and these big companies. I mean, do you who was your first one you went and made a pitch to? I mean, do you remember that? And how, like, how did it go? Because you know, you just talked about a little bit like with, right. being told no, and like how do you deal with that? And just that, you yeah. Know, you, and I'm sure you just didn't come out and you just started working with Banana Banana Republic and these <laughs> names. So yeah. I remember um, going on a sales call with a boss coming in from New York to Nordstrom's up in Seattle. 
And the person we were supposed to meet with at nine o'clock on a Monday. So we had to fly in the night before an emergency came up that morning and they go, oh, we're yeah. so sorry. You know, the senior person isn't available. Uh, so you'll have to meet with, you know, a junior person. Well, the publisher was livid as if it was my fault. Right. Sure. Didn't you confirm this? I go, yes, I did on Friday. Did you not hear that an emergency happened? Um and so we're thrown into this little closet of a conference room and to and he goes ugh you know this is gonna it doesn't matter what you say right this person has no power just burn through this in presentation fast what a waste of time and not exactly the best mindset to be in of course and i you know the room was so small, I couldn't even make out the quote that we had on one of the slides from Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh, no. And I thought, well, that doesn't really matter. Um, you know, he wants me to go through it fast anyway. And I so I said, and there's a nice quote from Saks. And he goes, go back. And I was like, go back. And this is in the day when the slide projectors were on the table. And in my naivete, I thought, well, if I pick the slide projector up and pull it up against my chest, that extra couple feet might be enough to pull it into focus. And it wasn't. And in fact, I slipped and this image went up on the ceiling. Oh. And now I'm really sweating bullets. I'm like, I'm going to be fired today. Yeah. <laughs> so it does not always go smoothly. Oh. And what I learned through that whole process is I can't reject myself. Mm-hmm. I have one bad sales call, one bad experience. Something starts to nosedive. And instead of having a supportive boss, I had a, a boss that dragged me down because of his ego, instead of saying, it's not your fault, we'll make the best. He was like beating me. So I was beating myself up and I had a boss beating myself up. Now that would not, I wouldn't let it that throw me like that, but I was much younger at the time and I didn't have the experience under my belt. So I tell young people, never reject yourself and certainly don't reject, like in school, like if you got a B or a C or God forbid a D in my house, doesn't mean you're a D person. And yet so many of us identify with the outside results. So one of the things I've really learned is if we can get off the self-esteem roller coaster, yes. where we don't only feel good if things are going great and bad if they're not, because I used to be on that all the time. Oh, I made a sale. I feel good. Oh, I, I got to know. I didn't. I feel bad about myself. I bet, my, I bet another rep could have gotten this sale. You start questioning yourself, your own abilities, or you start questioning the product you're selling. Oh, maybe they're right. Maybe Vanity Fair is better than W Magazine or whatever. You, do, you know, and like, don't do that to yourself. Don't reject yourself. Don't reject. And the other thing is no now doesn't mean no forever. Sure. Sometimes people change their mind. Budgets change. Sometimes new people come in. So that um, I've come up with something called the 555 to help us all deal with rejection. Okay, or a disappointment so. or betrayal or whatever comes up, right? I mean, for some people, they get cut off in traffic. They flip out, right? Oh, yeah. I like to say that on here. Um, I'm like, will this matter in five minutes? No. Probably not. No. Um, how about five hours from now? How about five days from now, right? You're like the movie director of your own life and you zoom out five, five, five. And so it's much easier for people to let go of being cut off in traffic and not taking that personally and not having it ruin their whole day. But if you don't, if you lose a sale or you don't get a job that you're interviewing for whatever, you can five, 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 anything. And now I have companies making this part of their culture, which makes me so happy. We're like, Oh, we had a big no. And we all just agreed. We're going to five, five, five it. We're going to talk about it for the next five hours. And then we're going to let it go. We're not going to talk about it anymore. Mm. Because the more we talk about it, the more negativity we take to the next meeting. And the next day or the next week. I understand. And, you know, what I was talking about earlier with the the personal impact, you know, when my dad died eight years ago, I wish I had this tool, Chris, because I could go to my younger self and say, you know, you're still going to miss him five days from now. So you zoom out again. How about five weeks, five months, five years from now? Oh, yeah, you'll miss him, but you won't be this sad. Yes. Yes. So I really love the five 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 to help us all deal like with that I like that rule. I never thought about it in that sense, five five five. But that's one thing, like you just say, somebody cuts you off in traffic, that you can either let that ruin your day or you can just move on and yeah, know that you know there's worse things that have happened in life, and I'm pretty sure you'll be okay. Yeah. 
I want to make sure I remember the five 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 though, and make sure I spread that. Good. It makes so much sense the way you just said it. And that's usually the I usually say it the way I did. But no, I like the five five five. It makes so much so much clearer. It's easy to remember, and then it's easy to use, and then you can start having a group of people in your world support each other with it. Like you know, let's five 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 this right. And if we have to five 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 it again to five years, is you know, even the worst breakup in the world will not have as much pain five years from now. And and kind of going back a little bit and just talking about you know beating yourself up and with the rejection and being told no, and just your boss beating you up and all that stuff. And I never wish bad on anybody or wish anybody has to go through something, you know, being told no or not get the job or not to sell or whatever. But mm-hmm. I guess in a sense, do you think that, because it seems like you learned a lot from your very first time of it, <laughs> the very first pitch at Nordstrom. And do you think a lot of people or just people in general should go through a, a negative situation like that. So they learned about their cells and they learned about how they really are. And if they're really determined yeah. to do something. Well, I, I think, um, you know, I've heard people say, you know, you learn more from failure than you do from success. Yes. But my whole premise is we all have just lived through this pandemic, right? We don't have to seek failure out. It'll, it'll have change disruption. It's part of life. Of course. And I think, the ability to to zoom out again and say, I might not have faced this exact situation before, but I, if I think of myself like a stock in a company that I'm investing in, I know my work ethic, I know my skill set. I'm going to figure something out. Like for me personally, when the pandemic hit, all live events were canceled, and as a sales keynote speaker, that's your, that's your thing, yeah. Boom. And then clients are like, okay, we're going to have a virtual meeting. Can you now teach our sales team how to look and sound good and be comfortable on camera okay. when they make sales calls? And, you know, I had to figure out, and, you know, how should we set up the home studio? And I'm like, well, my lights and microphone are on back order like everything was at the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic. But as soon as I get that, I'll be, you know, so I was just literally one chapter ahead of them. Um, but that's how I, you know, generate revenue. So I think the concept of failure of maybe it's a lack of us not achieving a goal or just everything being disrupted, whether you lose a job or the pandemic hits and you have to figure out, all right, how am I going to handle this? And when I guest lecture at universities and, you know, the students are so nervous about the future, am I going to get a job or what that, you know, what's my life going to, I'm like, this is just one of many unknowns. And that we all have to get comfortable with the unknown sometimes. Yes. Because, you know, fearing failure doesn't help prevent it. It makes you a deer in headlights. And one, somebody said to me, you know, failure is just feedback. You keep going until you get a zombie idea. So great, it won't die. So I think if we just adjust our mindset of like failure doesn't mean I'm a failure as a person. Yeah. Or a dad or a friend or whatever your thing is, a boss, it's just that's part of being human. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent with you that, you know, you don't have to live with that failure, but it's whatever. And I, I agree. I think you do learn a lot from failure because it's like you said, you don't, life is all kind of unknown and you don't really know what's going to happen and how things are going to move forward day by day. But by learning about yourself and going through certain life journeys like that, you do learn. And like you decide that, Hey, I can either let this beat me down or I can make the best of it and keep pushing forward until I start, you know, having, you know, breakfast with Larry King or whatever. So, yeah, well, <laughs> right. But, but, you know, I know we're getting a little short on time here, but I, and I want to give you a chance to kind of mention your book and, yeah. and back right there. And just, um, I mean, I guess so that for the audience knows, I mean, what, and kind of, I guess it's, what was the motivation behind the book? I mean, I know this is a little bit of oh, everything yes. you've been talking about throughout this whole yes, conversation. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a business fable set here in Austin where I live. So it's a little bit of a love letter to Austin. Nice. And it's a story about a salesperson in medical sales struggling that the old way of selling and pushing out facts and figures is just not working anymore. And he has a mentor that teaches him about storytelling. And when she shows him how to sell himself, his own story, the company story and a case story, his career takes off. And then at the very end, there's um, all the different templates that people can follow to become a better storyteller themselves. And if anybody wants to sample the first chapter, I have it set up where you can get the first chapter for free. You just take out your phone and t- text 
the word pitch with a P, got to really enunciate that, um, to 66866. <laughs> and uh, you get the first chapter for free to see if it intrigues you enough to want to read more. Nice. That's awesome. And just real quick, this, um, and I even forgot to ask you this, but I know you were talking about in the beginning or a little bit earlier in the conversation about being a lifeguard and everything. And I know you had a TEDx talk. Yes. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of all, kind of going along the same lines, right? And, yeah, it's all connected. It's called be the lifeguard of your own life. Because unlike in a hurricane, no one's going to come save you. And it was, I gave that talk before the pandemic. And of course, now we've all been disrupted again. And I think we really realize we do have to be our own lifeguard and get out of our comfort zone sometimes and figure out how am I going to do that? And if you want to prevent yourself from drowning in the sea of sameness, storytelling is your way out. I like it. Well. Well, John, like I said, I want to be respectful for, of your time and thanks for being here. And I know you kind of plugged your book a little bit right there, but do you have anything else you want to plug or if you want people to find you or just anything in general? Oh, Oops, you froze there for a yeah, second. Yeah, I don't know. I, my, I guess my internet's a little slow tonight. But uh, like I said, uh, what was I saying? You're a little slow. Uh, slow. Uh, we're a little short on time right now, or I know we, I want to be respectful of your time. So, and I know you kind of just plugged uh, getting the first chapter of your book, but do you have anything else you want to plug? I mean, if people want to find you and yeah, if, if you can't remember the name of my book, the sale is in the tail or my name, just Google the pitch whisperer and all my content shows up and I've launched a new online community for people. It's called the superhero you with the letter U and it's all about helping people get confidence and figuring out their own superhero powers so that they don't become the villain in their own life. But in fact, tap into how to get more confidence and, more storytelling skills yeah well again john thanks for being here i'm glad you shared some stories with me i really enjoyed them and Great. this was awesome this was fun it's fun for me thanks chris all right we're out here folks see ya Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.